Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and we come together to do meditation together each Wednesday. And on Sundays, I'm typically doing a discussion or a Dhamma talk on specific teachings of the Buddha. We're in our retreat series where each Sunday I'm covering a unique class that I shared in America this past summer as part of the retreat. This Sunday coming up, I'll be sharing about how to eliminate attachments to those who are closest to us. And today we're going to be learning loving kindness meditation. So typically we come together and we either do loving kindness meditation or breathing mindfulness meditation. And last week I did a refresh to help you understand breathing mindfulness meditation and why we do it and how we do it because it's really important to understand the why. If you don't understand the why you're doing meditation, then it's going to be very challenging for you to accomplish the goals of transforming the mind through meditation. So today we're going to do the same thing but with loving kindness meditation so that you'll understand not only the how to do loving kindness and I'll actually guide you guys in a loving kindness meditation, but I'm going to explain to you why and I'm going to help you see the connection from loving kindness meditation into the Eightfold Path using the words of the Buddha so that you'll understand what the Buddha actually taught as part of loving kindness and sharing that as part of the Eightfold Path. So I'd like to welcome all of you, whether you're joining us for the first time or you've been joining us regularly, I'm going to share some content here to help you start understanding more of loving kindness meditation and then we can actually do it together. So last week, I was describing how meditation is to either cultivate wholesome qualities or eliminate unwholesome qualities. And we talked about breathing mindfulness meditation, how it eliminates craving, desire, attachment. This is the cause of discontent feelings in the mind. When you're experiencing anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment, any kind of displeasure or grief, something like this. It's all because of craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness. So breathing mindfulness meditation is training the mind that when it moves off the breath, that you can control the mind and bring it back to the breath. So that then in daily life where you see the mind longing, yearning, grasping and attempting to hold on to things, you can cut that off, let it go and come back so that the mind can be redirected and no longer chase after the objects of its affection. You're also cultivating mindfulness or awareness of mind, specifically those four foundations of mindfulness, of being aware of the bodily sensations, 
the feelings, the condition of the mind and mental objects. This is what you're accomplishing in breathing mindfulness meditation. And this was the primary form of meditation that the Buddha taught as part of the path to enlightenment. This is really what propelled his ability to attain enlightenment. There's many other steps, including meditation, that you would need in order to get to enlightenment. But breathing mindfulness meditation is the primary form of meditation that he taught because it addresses the primary problem, which is craving, desire, attachment. That's what's causing the discontent feelings. Well, if you get the objects of your affection through that craving, the unenlightened mind is going to experience pleasant feelings like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria. But if you don't get the objects of your affection based on craving, this is where anger, hatred, ill will can arise in the mind. And you would like to transform that because as long as the mind has anger, then there's a tendency for the mind to then be unskillful with our intentions, our speech, and our actions. There's oftentimes this hostility or bitterness or animosity this hostility that comes out in the mind through our intentions, our speech, and our actions. And as long as that's occurring and you're putting that out into the world among the relationships that you're in, then that's what's going to come back to you is that hostility, that aggression, that bitterness. So when you realize that you're causing all of these discontent feelings and that it's motivating this unskillful conduct, then you can use something like loving kindness meditation to antidote the anger, hatred, and ill will. And then by transforming that in your own mind, now when you function, you can function through the Eightfold Path where you have right intention, right speech, and right action among all the other factors. And now you can practice in a way that is wise and it'll produce wholesome results. Rather than being unwise and having anger, hatred, ill will with this animosity, this bitterness, this hostility, rather than putting that out into the world, you can now function through your intention, speech, and actions with loving kindness. So to help you see this more clearly, I would like to introduce you just to understanding what loving kindness is. And then we're going to use some of the words of the Buddha to help you see how your meditation practice of loving kindness connects into the Buddha's teachings and how he was guiding you to cultivate loving kindness in meditation and then practice it as part of the Eightfold Path. So first, let's discuss what is loving kindness. This is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. This is something that we cultivate in meditation, but then we practice it through our intention, speech, and actions. This is the antidote or the wholesome root or the remedy for anger, hatred, ill will, because it's the exact opposite of anger, hatred, and ill will. It helps to eliminate this harshness, this bitterness, this hostility, this resentment in the mind. By cultivating loving kindness in the mind through meditation, it's like filling up the gas tank with loving kindness. And then when you go out into the world, now you can function in a way that isn't harsh or bitter or hostile or resentful. Instead, you can be very loving and kind through your intention, speech, and actions. You'll see that loving kindness is part of one of the Brahma Viharas. The Brahma Viharas are part of the four healthy mental states that need to be cultivated in order to move the mind to enlightenment. There's exact remedies that the four healthy mental states are transforming. Those four healthy mental states are loving kindness, 
compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. There's exact unwholesome qualities of mind that are being antidoted or remedied or transformed as a result of arising these four healthy mental states. And loving kindness is one of those that need to be cultivated in order to transform the mind. And it's transforming the mind away from that anger, hatred, ill will, and then also those lesser versions, right? Sometimes the mind just is irritated or annoyed, or you have a certain dislike for someone or a certain dislike for a certain situation. Eliminating craving, desire, attachment is going to help you work to eliminate that. But also there's this ill will in the mind that needs to be remedied and antidoted. And that's where loving kindness comes in. Where you are looking at the eightfold path, it's important to see in the words of the Buddha where loving kindness plugs into the eightfold path. Because the Eightfold Path is the core central teaching of the Buddha, and all of his other teachings plug into this Eightfold Path. And when you can see through the words of the Buddha that your meditation practice of loving kindness and practicing loving kindness in daily life is plugging into this Eightfold Path, then you can see how it's helping you to move towards enlightenment. Because the Eightfold Path is the path to enlightenment. This is the path. This is your life practice. If you're developing a life practice in order to get to enlightenment on the path to enlightenment, you would need to know the Eightfold Path inside and out, backwards, forwards, left, right, up, down. You need to learn it like the back of your hand so that by learning it and independently verifying it, then you can practice it in daily life. And that's where you'll see the improvement to the condition of the mind. And as you're improving the condition of your mind, you'll see improvements to your personal and professional relationships. So rather than just believe me that loving kindness is part of the Eightfold Path, I'm bringing in some of the words of the Buddha here related to the Eightfold Path where you can see how loving kindness plugs into it. The second factor on the Eightfold Path is right intention. The Buddha provides three aspects of right intention that would need to be cultivated in the mind in order to move the mind closer to enlightenment. And these three factors are the intention of renunciation, the intention of non-ill will, and the intention of harmlessness. Another way to say right intention would be right thinking or right thoughts. So you would need to have the intention or the thinking or the thought of renunciation. What renunciation is, is the willingness to let go of your false beliefs, your misperceptions, the unwholesomeness that is in the mind. You need to be willing to let that go. Essentially, you need to have an open mind to learning and practicing, realizing that if you're experiencing discontent feelings, the mind is currently unenlightened and there's certain things that the mind doesn't understand. There's a certain lack of wisdom. There's certain false beliefs and misperceptions. There's certain opinions and views that are being held on to that are just incorrect or the unknowing of true reality. And in order to train the mind and move to this enlightened mental state, the mind needs to be willing to let go of these things. But you don't just blindly let go of them. Instead, you're learning the teachings of the Buddha. You're reflecting on them to independently verify them. And you're practicing in order to cultivate this wisdom. And as you do and you see the wisdom in the teachings of the Buddha, then you move out these false beliefs, these 
misperceptions, this misunderstandings and confusion that the mind has, these unwholesomeness in the mind, you move that out and you get rid of that. And now in place of that, you have this wisdom to now be functioning in the world through the wisdom of the Buddhist teachings. So this would be the intention of renunciation, the willingness to let go. Then there's the intention of non-ill will. Non-ill will is a double negative because there's non-ill will. Another way to say that is the intention of goodwill. So loving kindness is having the active goodwill towards all beings, having an interest in seeing all beings be well. So as part of right intention on the second factor of the Eightfold Path, the Buddha is sharing how you would need to have this active goodwill, this interest in seeing all beings be well. And that's what the intention of non-ill will is. But how could you actually do that and have that in the mind as part of right intention if you hadn't cultivated it as part of meditation? So that's why that meditation of loving kindness meditation that the Buddha taught is there in order to help you to cultivate the qualities of mind that you need in order to practice the other steps of the Eightfold Path like right intention. And then the third aspect of right intention is the intention of harmlessness or the thought or the thinking of harmlessness, not being interested in causing harm to others. Because as long as you're causing harm to others, harm is going to come back to you. This is the natural law of gamma, of cause and effect or action and result. The natural law of gamma, it isn't a mystical, magical cloud that's following you around or punishing you and rewarding you. Instead, it's the results of your decisions. It's cause and effect or action and results, the results of your decisions. So if you are polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to the people around you, you'll see that gradually this is what will come back to you. And where you're impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful, then gradually this is what you will see that comes back to you. So if you practice the intention of harmlessness, where you're incapable or unwilling or uninterested to cause harm to other beings, then you'll be more motivated in order to implement all the other aspects of the path. And then when you're not interested and incapable of causing harm to others, then you're not causing harm through your decision making. You're making wise decisions based on the natural law of gamma. And now when you're putting out nothing but wholesomeness through wise decisions, then wholesome things will happen. But as long as you're causing harm and, you know, as you're on this path to enlightenment and you don't fully understand the natural law of gamma, you might feel that you have the best intentions, but you are maybe causing harm because you don't fully understand the Eightfold Path in things like right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. So while we might go around in the unenlightened state thinking that we have the best intentions and we're doing everything in the best way, if we haven't deeply studied the words of the Buddha to understand the Eightfold Path and specifically the natural law of gamma, then even with the best intentions of what you think are the best intentions now, you are most likely making unwise decisions just because you don't understand what you don't understand. So you may be causing harm through your intention, speech, and actions or some other aspect of your practice like livelihood without even realizing it. And these unwholesome results are returning back to you based on your lack of wisdom of this natural law. 
So right intention helps you to train the mind to let go of the false beliefs and the misperceptions, the misunderstandings, having an open mind to learning and practicing, gaining wisdom, and now moving out those false beliefs, those false views, those false opinions that are just detrimental to your practice. It's helping you to have the intention of non-ill will or practicing goodwill and having the intention of harmlessness where you're incapable or unwilling, uninterested to actually cause harm to others. And the loving kindness meditation is gonna help you to accomplish this. Then when you study right speech, in the Eightfold Path, the Buddha gives four aspects of right speech, and this is kind of a generalized training where he talks about not lying, not having slander, not having harsh speech, and then also not having frivolous speech or idle chatter. These are the four aspects of the Eightfold Path that he talks about speech to a certain level of detail. So lying, having slander, harsh speech, and frivolous speech. He's teaching to purify the mind and no longer practice those things. And you'll see better results by moving your practice to the point where you're not doing those things. But then he shares in other parts of his teachings more aspects of right speech, specifically the five factors of well-spoken speech. Here is where you get the detail of understanding the natural law of gamma in more detail related to speech so that you're not causing harm through your speech. Therefore, as you bring your practice up to the five factors of well-spoken speech, and you're doing that consistently over a long-term period of time, you will see that your personal and professional relationships will blossom. So the five factors of well-spoken speech are speaking at the right time, what you say is true, you speak gently, beneficially, and with a mind of loving kindness. You can actually take these five factors and you can look back over your life. And in situations where you had very wonderful conversations that turned out really well, you can see that you and or the other person were practicing all five factors of the five factors of well-spoken speech. But then you can also look at conversations that didn't go well and you weren't practicing these five factors and or the other person wasn't practicing these five factors either. So you were speaking perhaps at the wrong time. Maybe you weren't speaking truth. Maybe you weren't speaking gently. Maybe you weren't speaking beneficially and you weren't speaking with a mind of loving kindness. So this is where loving kindness plugs into right speech. Because once again, how could you practice right speech with a mind of loving kindness if you haven't cultivated that in meditation yet. So by cultivating loving kindness over a consistent long-term period of time in meditation, then you're more readily able to practice that through your speech. And then you can dial in each of these five factors where you're bringing your practice of right speech up closer and closer to what would be ideal for you in all of your relationships. And this is where you will see your personal professional relationships really grow and really blossom. And then the Buddha talks here in this other teaching that I kind of extracted from the Pali Canon, which is his original source teachings, where 
prior to this, which is what I'm about to read, he's talking about the five factors of well-spoken speech and he's teaching his students how to speak with the five factors of well-spoken speech. Speaking at the right time, what you say is true, speaking gently, speaking beneficially, and speaking with a mind of loving kindness. But he also shares prior to this that even though you're practicing that, there's going to be times when people don't practice the five factors of well-spoken speech. You're going to encounter people, even when the mind is enlightened, that are not necessarily practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech. And now he's giving you advice of what to do when somebody speaks in a way that isn't using one of the five factors. So if they're speaking harsh, or they're speaking unbeneficially, or they're speaking with a mind of inner hate, here's what he says. He says, herein, monks, you should train thus. Our minds will remain unaffected, and we shall utter no evil words. We shall reside compassionate for their welfare, with a mind of loving kindness, without inner hate. We shall reside enveloping that person with a mind filled with loving kindness, and starting with him, we shall reside enveloping the all-encompassing world with a mind filled with loving kindness, abundant, joyful, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. That is how you should train monks. Because perhaps before you understood the wisdom of this path, if somebody spoke harsh to you, you might have felt like you needed to speak harsh back, and that was kind of your reaction. Or if somebody was disrespectful to you, you might have reacted with disrespect back. But this is essentially like taking a rubber ball, and somebody picks this up and bounces it in the room, and then when they're bouncing the disrespect and the hatred and the harsh language and all of this around the room, you pick the ball up and now you bounce it around. And now next thing you know, you've got these balls bouncing around the room of harshness, of disrespect, and all this other aspects of argumentative speech. But if somebody picks up a ball of anger and hatred and they're being argumentative and they're being harsh and they're being hateful and they throw that around in the room and it bounces around and you just kind of watch it roll over into the corner and you don't pick it up now you're extinguishing any unwholesomeness because in the past where you would react back with harshness now you're choosing not to do that out of wise decision making and that's what the buddha sharing with you remain unaffected with no evil words because as long as you keep putting harsh words out into the world they're just going to keep coming back to you so when somebody picks up that rubber ball and bounces it don't pick it up just allow it to roll into the corner and extinguish any unwholesomeness and if you need to leave from that person or walk away or you need to choose to move on in your relationships, then that's what you choose to do. But you're not interested in being argumentative back. That's just gonna keep this rubber ball bouncing around in the room. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have so far before I share some more things with you about what the Buddha taught around loving kindness. You can put your questions into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. Uh, it does not appear there are any questions at this time. Okay, so let's look at some more words of the Buddha as it relates to loving-kindness meditation and practicing loving-kindness in daily life. Because if you were just meditating and that's all you were doing, 
you wouldn't actually be able to fully transform the mind. So here are some more words from the Buddha to help you understand this. Here he's talking to his son Rahula. A lot of times people think that the Buddha left his family and never actually came back, but he actually did come back to the kingdom and he ended up receiving his son as the very first novice monk or the nyan is what we call a novice monk. His wife ended up ordaining his stepmother as well, some of his cousins and people like this. So here he's talking to his son, Rahula, develop meditation on loving kindness. For when you develop meditation on loving kindness, any ill will will be abandoned. So it's very clear, very concise. Developing meditation to cultivate loving kindness in the mind is what will eliminate ill will in the mind. This anger, hatred, and ill will. This is one of the pollutions of mind that the Buddha discovered that needs to be eradicated and eliminated from the mind. And he's sharing here that it's loving kindness meditation that does that. Then the second one here, he says, loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will. This is essentially going out into the world after you've meditated and practicing loving kindness through your intention, speech, and actions. If all you did was meditated and you didn't go out into the world and practice loving kindness through your intention, speech, and actions, where you're polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, you wouldn't have fully transformed the mind. Because it's wonderful that someone's meditating and practicing loving kindness to transform their mind, but you need to move that into your daily life through your practice, through your life practice of intention, speech, and actions. Now you practice in a way that has this active goodwill, this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, through your intention, speech, and actions. Here, this next one that the Buddha is sharing, he's talking about any anger that is in the mind that hasn't yet arisen, how do you basically ensure that that doesn't arise? And then any anger that is in the mind, how do you get rid of it? How do you abandon it? Here's what he shares. He says, suppose they ask, but what friends is the reason unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned? You should answer the liberation of mind by loving kindness. For one who attends carefully to the liberation of mind by loving kindness, unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned. This, friends, is the reason unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned. So here he's talking about liberation of mind by loving kindness. Liberation of mind is freedom of strong feelings. Those strong feelings are discontentedness, anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy. All of these discontent feelings and others are completely eliminated from the enlightened mind. But when the mind is unenlightened and you're transforming the mind to the enlightened mind, there's still going to be some ill will. There's still going to be some anger, hatred, and ill will in the mind. This is a mental object that doesn't get eliminated until you actually get to the third stage of enlightenment. It gets thinned along the path, and as you get to that second stage of enlightenment, ill will is thinned, 
but it doesn't actually get eliminated until you move into the third stage of enlightenment. So as you're transforming the mind here, what the Buddha is saying is the way to liberate the mind from those strong feelings of anger, hatred, and ill will is for attending closely to practicing loving kindness because that unarisen anger, that mental object of ill will that's in the mind that's just kind of waiting there to kind of arise, he's saying if you practice loving kindness, it's not gonna allow this anger to arise because loving kindness is the exact opposite of anger, hatred, and ill will. So if you're practicing loving kindness through meditation, but then through your intention, speech, and actions, now any kind of ill will that is currently in the mind, it can arise. And then you're working to uproot that and bring in more and more loving kindness as part of your life practice. You're using loving kindness meditation to break up this mental object of ill will. And then you're practicing in daily life through your intention, speech, and actions so that that unarisen anger does not arise. And then wherever you see anger arising up into the mind, the Buddha is saying, okay, practice loving kindness. That's what's going to abandon that anger and get it out of the mind. So if you are observing that anger is arising in the mind, right away you need to cut that off, let it go. And one of the ways you can do that is by arising loving kindness. By bringing loving kindness into your intention, speech, and actions, now that pushes out the anger, hatred, and ill will. Now, the way that we actually do loving kindness meditation is first we do some chanting, which eases the mind down into meditation. It's not a mystical, magical thing, but it just helps you to cultivate awareness of the mind, awareness of the breath, start to cultivate some memory and some clarity, some concentration as we're doing chanting. Then we we'll move into breathing mindfulness meditation just for a short period, maybe just like five or 10 minutes is all you'll probably need just to get started. Then we go into loving kindness meditation where you'll be doing these affirmations on the out breath. So I'll be saying out loud, may I be peaceful. And whenever you get to your next out breath, you just repeat that in the mind on the out breath, may I be peaceful. And then when I get to the next breath, it'll say, may I be safe. And wherever you get to your next out breath, you repeat, may I be safe. Because your breath's going to be at a different place than mine, because this is your practice. So I'm just here to guide you and help you along. I will then say, may I be well. Again, on the out breath, you're going to say, may I be well. And then may I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. So you'll need to cultivate loving kindness for this being who you are now in order for you to have loving kindness for others. You wouldn't be able to actually cultivate loving kindness for others if you don't have loving kindness for yourself because you haven't even learned how to love yourself yet. So you need to work on that, cultivating loving kindness for yourself before you can cultivate it for other people. Then we're going to go through these successive rings where we might say, may we be peaceful, meaning those of us that are meditating together. And we'll say, may we be safe, may we be well, may we be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Then I'll insert some kind of general rings that apply to all of us. Then it'll ultimately be, may all beings, because you're not interested in leaving anyone out of your meditation. You would like to start with I, go through some successive rings, 
and then be all beings at the end. And as you create these successive rings, it should be based on people that you do have anger, hatred, and ill will towards, or maybe lesser versions, maybe resentfulness, or maybe some dislike. Even people that are long in your past and you maybe will never see them again in your life, if your mind's holding on to any anger, hatred, or ill will, it's going to hinder it from experiencing enlightenment. So even if you haven't seen those people for 10 or 20 years, you're going to need to train the mind to get liberated from this anger, this hatred, and this ill will. So you should include in your meditation people that you currently have loving kindness for, and you would like to support that, encourage that, don't allow it to fade, and anyone that you have anger, hatred, ill will for, so that you customize your meditation in your daily practice based on people that you need to cultivate loving kindness for. But in this group meditation, you'll just hear me using general statements that really apply to all of us. So that way we can meditate together as a group. And this just is helping you to learn how to meditate. But then on your own, customize the meditation for yourself. Then after loving kindness meditation, we'll go back to breathing mindfulness meditation for a brief period of time. And then we'll come out of that with chanting. And this will be the structure of our meditation chanting, breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation, and back to chanting. And I'm going to be quiet at different times in the breathing mindfulness meditation in order to allow you to do the work, right? Rather than just listening to my voice all the way through the meditation, you're going to need a period of time where you're doing the work. So I'll be quiet at certain times, but I will have guided you in how to actually do the work. So let me see what questions you guys might have here related to loving kindness meditation. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions that you like. Yes, sir. When we're doing loving kindness meditation on our own, is it just people that we should be focusing on, or can we focus on different types of beings, um, animals, maybe afflicted spirits? Yeah, people who have passed on. Yeah, you can do any and all beings. So those beings of hell, animal, afflicted spirits, human realm, and heavenly realm, you could be doing rings for each of these if you like. So it's ultimately you would like to get to all beings, which includes all those other realms. Yes, thank you, sir. You're welcome. Um, also, further along in our practice with this, if we're ending our loving kindness meditation and we feel that we are full of loving kindness and compassion for all beings, is it a wise idea to still do breathing mindfulness meditation or can one just end with loving kindness meditation to try to carry that feeling on through the day, sir? Yeah, that breathing mindfulness meditation at the end of loving kindness is there to help you cut off and let go of any anger that might have arisen during the meditation. So sometimes as you're doing loving kindness meditation and you're including people who you might currently have anger or resentment towards, sometimes anger arises up in the mind and you might need to cut that off and let that go. So that's what the breathing mindfulness meditation is there for. But if you're observing as you go through your loving kindness meditation that there's nothing but loving kindness permeating in the mind, then you don't need to do that breathing mindfulness meditation at the end. You can just allow that to continue to fill up in the mind and permeate in the mind. 
Because remember that this loving kindness meditation, it's to transform your mind. Sometimes when people teach this, they teach it almost like it's a prayer or like a wish for other people to be loving and kind and like somebody's trying to change others through their meditation. But this isn't possible. If it was possible to change others through our meditation, there would be no such thing as prisons or murders or rapes or any of these other things because we could all just get together and meditate and then we could change other people through our meditation. So this is a misunderstanding that some people have about loving kindness meditation is they think it's to change others or to put these aspirations into the world and actually affect change with other beings. But since you're transforming your mind, where you observe that there's loving kindness permeating and there is no anger and hatred by the end of the meditation. You don't need to do that following in that ending breathing mindfulness meditation. And this really helps you to see that what you're working on is to transform your mind, not to affect change by other people. Where you start to affect other people is that by you cultivating loving kindness in your meditation and then in your daily life your intention speech and action start emanating from loving kindness now you're putting less and less harm in the world and then this will gradually slowly potentially have an effect on others because in order for somebody to eliminate anger hatred and will they have to do the work to do that but where in situations where you have loving kindness you'll see that there can be some transformation on other people's parts but they're ultimately doing that work and you're doing your own work. So where you see the mind filling up and permeating with loving kindness, no need to do that last breathing mindfulness meditation if you're not interested to do that. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, there are no other questions at this time, sir. Okay, so let's do loving kindness meditation together then. I'll guide you guys through this. And then this will help you to learn how to do it so that you can do it on your own when you're in your own practice. So the first thing is to get your body nice and comfortable, just like I guided last week, where if you're on the floor, you might have a cushion under your rear and your legs lightly crossed in front of you. You would like to have some circulation in the legs. If your legs are too tight, this is going to impede the circulation and cause pain during the meditation. So if you're on the floor, just lightly cross your legs. If you're on a chair, you might have your feet flat on the floor or you might even cross at the ankles lightly. The hands and the arms should be resting in the lap. The Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together. And if you like that and it feels comfortable for you, you can do it that way. But there's other options like putting your palms on your thighs, on your knees, maybe palms up. If you're on a chair, you might even put your arms on the armrests of the chair. Essentially, the lower body and the hands and arms should be resting comfortably without any muscles being engaged whatsoever. The upper body should be erect, not real rigid and not slouched, but erect. This keeps the mind attentive and alert during your meditation session because this is actively training the mind through a dedicated, purposeful training session. So you would like the mind to be attentive and alert during the meditation. By keeping the upper body erect, this helps to keep the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. Next, just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. You can stay here, just establishing the breath, breathing in and out through the nose, 
or you can join in the chants. After chanting, I'll be back with some guidance to help you further in this meditation. You're just establishing the breath. Breathing in through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And then exhaling through the nose, experiencing the full exhale. Breathing in and out. Your breath isn't going to necessarily sync up to the guidance that I'm providing, and that's okay. This is your practice. So wherever you get to the next inhale, 
Just breathe in gradually through the nose. Experience the full breath. And then whenever you get to the exhale, exhale out through the nose, experiencing the full breath. Breathing in. In, out. You would like this to be a nice, natural breath, a gradual breath, not forced or controlled, but just naturally breathing in through the nose and then gradually breathing out through the nose. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in. In, out. With the breath well established, start fixating the mind on the breath. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose. Breathing in and out. Breathing in In, out. With the mind fixated on the breath, the present moment, whenever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. There's no need to label the thought, observe it, analyze it, or even try to figure out where it's coming from. Wherever you observe that the mind is off the breath, just cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath, cutting off and letting go anytime the mind is not on the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in
in, out.
continuing to focus on the breath. On the next out breath, repeat these affirmations in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May we be peaceful. discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May my family and friends be peaceful.
May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. peaceful. May they be safe. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all those who I have harmed be peaceful.
May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be safe. beings be well. May all beings be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Now go back to breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the breath. Breathing in. In, out. 
make your way out of meditation I'll uh, just open up to any questions that you guys might have related to meditation or any other aspect of the path to enlightenment you're welcome to put that into Facebook YouTube or zoom or raise your hand in zoom if you'd like to ask any questions directly yes sir um, a question came to the mind when we are doing loving-kindness meditation if we start focusing on someone and those feelings of anger or annoyance begin to arise, is it more, should we focus on that person or should we then move to someone else and maybe come back to that person? What would be the, I guess, most wise course of action there? So. You can do it either way, whichever way you, you would like to do. Sometimes focusing on the person that the anger is arising with it helps to kind of kick up the dust, so to speak, 
and then you can get the dust out of the house, right? Whereas if you just try to suppress it, it doesn't always allow you to eliminate it out of the mind. So you might even decide that as that dust is getting kicked up, as the anger is coming up, you might decide to even do a little bit of breathing mindfulness meditation, just pause on the affirmations, maybe just a minute or two or three, just really kind of focusing on the breathing mindfulness and then go back to that person again, right? If you've been able to get some of that anger out through breathing mindfulness, go back to that person again. And each time you touch it, you know, it brings the anger up and then you clear it out. It brings the anger up and you clear it out. So you'll have to decide for yourself how intense it is and how easily are you able to get it out of the mind because you'd like to just eliminate it, abandon it, you know, wipe it out of the mind. So you'll have to judge for yourself based on each individual person in each individual situation. Just discern for yourself what would be most wise to continue forward, to pause and kind of do some breathing mindfulness, to go back to that person. There's all these different options that you can do. And this is where this is your practice and having mindfulness and awareness and observing what works and what's going well. What you're definitely not interested in doing is just suppressing it. So you're interested in bringing it up and then removing it and abandoning it out of the mind. So wherever you feel that that's what's occurring, then that's what you would like to do. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on YouTube, Tonka asks, if you could talk about decision making, what else to consider other than not doing harm? There's lots of decisions you're going to make in your daily life. So being informed by the words of the Buddha is what's going to help guide your decisions, right? All about how you view things in the world. Like if you're experiencing discontentedness, having right view, practicing right intention, right speech, all these other factors. There's so many decisions that you make in a given day. And you'd like to really slow those down where you feel that the mind is moving fast and wanting to make a whole lot of decisions like bam, 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 bam. You would like to restrain the mind and pull it back and slow things down. Because when there's craving in the mind, it's going to want to run forward. It's going to want to lurch forward and make a whole lot of decisions because it's trying to get to some end goal or end objective. And it might not be pursuing it as a goal or an objective. It might be pursuing it as a craving. So if there's some craving that's motivating the mind to go, 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 make lots of decisions, where you see that occurring, you got to pull the mind back, slow it down, and just think through each decision you're making. And is that the wisest thing to do? Because there's so many decisions that you're going to make. You need to be sure that each decision that you put out into the world is a very wise decision. So, and there are so many, Tonka, that it would be hard to go through every single decision. Practicing harmlessness is key, that you're not interested in causing any harm through your intentions, your speech, your action, your livelihood. This is so key. But to know whether you're causing harm or not, that's where you need to really investigate the Eightfold Path and know what is a wise decision that's going to lead to wholesome results and what is an unwise decision that would lead to unwholesome results. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not appear there are any other questions at this time, sir. All right. Well, thank you all for joining for today's class. 
next Wednesday, we're going to be going back to our rotating schedule of breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. Here, the last two weeks was just to kind of refresh people who have been studying with me for a while or anybody who hasn't been studying with me, and this is your first time learning about breathing mindfulness and loving kindness meditation, to really deeply understand it so that when you're practicing it, two or three times a day for 30 minutes or more that you'll understand the why in the how. Oftentimes we just understand the how, but it's so important to understand the why so that you can transform the mind. This Sunday, as I mentioned, we're going to be still studying that retreat series, Harmony and Relationships, where I'm going to be sharing with you how to eliminate attachment in your relationships. As long as you have craving, desire, attachment in your relationships, there's going to be discontentedness. So if you're finding that with your parents, with your life partner, with your children, with your siblings, with your friends, your coworkers, that your mind is discontent in these relationships, that's because you have craving, desire, attachment in those relationships. And it's not until you eliminate it that the relationships can be harmonious. So we're going to focus on that this Sunday where you can learn how to eliminate attachments in your relationships because this is one of the most challenging things to do as part of this path is to actually eliminate attachments in relationships. So I'm going to be teaching you how to do that as part of this path. The Eightfold Path is key in learning and practicing that, but then there's specific things that you can learn about how to eliminate attachment in relationships. So thank you all for joining. I'll see you guys in a future class. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.